Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's bring in Caleb Herring on this uh, Wednesday as we'll uh, provide you with a very busy, busy 5 o'clock hour. Again, a little bit of a gap between the end of the show and when the runner Rebels tip off, and this is a big one. They need to get a win. They're coming out of a uh, Reno game that did not go well. They lost a seven-point lead in the final three minutes, and uh, they also got beat up pretty good on their home floor against Air Force just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, let's keep with the basketball theme, and Caleb's in with us. Caleb, what's going on, buddy? Oh, man, not too much. I'm enjoying most of this year. <laughs> I've been down for UNLV basketball, but yeah. I'm still enjoying the year. All right. Uh, busy night around the conference is uh, we have the uh, UNLV Air Force game coming up and then Colorado State in a pivotal game against New Mexico, so big for both teams. So the Mountain West has been a lot of fun this year. Um, I want to talk Eastern Conference basketball and get you in on this discussion. We were playing some of the audio earlier of J.J. Reddick going off on Doc Rivers. Did you like what he said? Did you think it was inappropriate? What do you think? I didn't like it. I, 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 it felt very personal, uh, and I don't really like takes from sports analysts or I, whatever JJ is right now. I don't know, you know, where he's half podcaster, half talking head on the ESPN. I don't know. He's kind of playing both roles here as far as media personality goes. But I think anytime there's like personal, like, talking about somebody's accountability and whether or not they hold themselves accountable is, I think, an irrelevant point when you're talking about uh, sports. I think it's a production oriented business. I think you could talk about somebody as a bad coach and give examples of why they're bad coach. Uh, but talking about accountability is kind of silly. And I, I mean, Doc Rivers, son, Austin Rivers, actually had a really good defense. He kind of rambled about some other stuff that was irrelevant. But I think that the defense is like being held accountable is kind of an outside thing. Your employer holds you accountable by firing you. It's not like he's not been scrutinizing the media. It's not like there's this pass that he gets. But um, And then, you know, as far as throwing players under the bus, that's been something that's been said. I don't know if, if what J.J. is doing by pointing out Doc Rivers' shortcomings as a coach isn't him throwing his coach under the bus. I mean, you were a player on those teams that lost those playoff series, that lost those games when you're supposed to win. So I, if we want to play the blame game and who's throwing who under the bus, that's fine, but it doesn't seem like a productive conversation, and it doesn't seem like it came from a place of analyzing basketball. It came from a more personal place, which, I don't know, it just has a weird feeling to me whenever it gets personal between – uh, media figures and coaches or players who are actually playing and, and coaching the game still. Caleb, what's so personal about saying that a coach <laughs> makes excuses where he is said, hey, you, you've blown the most 3-1 leads, and he says, hey, my one team, we were an eighth seed. Another team where he's always got an excuse for why he blows the leads. That For me, that is a coach not taking responsibility or accountability for why his team loses. Obviously, he could just say, hey, the other team was just better, but he's got the reasons for, hey, I don't know why that happened. Or even with the Bucks right now, he says, I don't know why they fired Adrian Griffith. Adrian Griffin, it's hard to come in in the middle of the season. He took the job. That's him passing the buck, it, like trying to avoid being accountable for why the Bucks haven't been that good. We could all say, yeah, it's hard to come in for a team in the middle of the season. Well, why'd you take the job? If you knew it was going to be hard, you could have just not taken the job and said, hey, you guys fired Adrian Griffin. That's on you. But I'm advising you not to. But he still took the job. And now it's the, hey, man, I don't know. I just got here. Yeah. I think I think there's 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 probably millions of reasons like in the form of dollars of why he would take the job and probably just a personal desire to coach. I think he got X out of coaching in an unexpected way 
last season when he thought he had a chance to go win a title. Um, and he, there's probably something in him that still wants to coach. I, I'm not going to get into whether or not he should have taken the job or not. I think, again, there's honesty in what Doc Rivers is saying. I think when he says his team was the A seed, is that, is that factual or not? I, what are we calling an excuse? If it's, if it's a fact that we can't miss free throws down the stretch of a game if we want to win, that's a fact. If a coach says that in a postgame presser, is he making an excuse? Is he throwing somebody under the bus? Or is he stating a fact? We, we weren't the better team. We were an A-seed, and we lost. We kind of were supposed to. I can't tell you why we lost a 3-1 lead, but it could probably have something to do with the fact that my best player uh, was in a depressive state and didn't want to be there. Those are factual statements. I don't know if we can say that those are excuses. Uh, I think every coach has made an excuse if we want to look at it in that context. I think Doc Rivers gets a rap for being a coach that can't get it done or that has a certain coaching style that doesn't always benefit. That's, that's legitimate criticism. I don't think pointing out accountability when there's no difference in what he says as an excuse, a quote-unquote excuse, compared to what other coaches say when they lose. I don't know what Budenholzer said when, uh, the, when the Bucks got knocked out in the first round, but it, it was an excuse. If you want to dissect and say it was an excuse, when you are asked why you lost or what happened and you give your reasoning or what you feel happened, then how do we then flip that narrative and say it's an excuse? It's just what happened. And, and I, when I look at what Doc Rivers has said in the past, most of it is factually based. Like it's not like he's he's saying, "Oh, why?" You know, the guys just didn't listen to me. I'm throwing them under the bus because they didn't do what I was telling them to do, and that's why we lost the game. No, it's like we we're the underdog in that series, and the, you know the other team executed and we didn't. Or you know we're the A seed and we we went up against the one. I, I don't know what you want me to say. Like I, this is what you guys expected. This is what the seeding said. So again, I don't have a problem with you criticizing the coaching of Doc Rivers, but saying that they don't hold themselves accountable because of the explanations they give for their shortcomings is, is I think, an unfair uh, problem to present Doc Rivers with. What think, does he say? What is he supposed to say in those situations? For me, I think it is, it's the coaching, but the <laughs> people who are defending Doc Rivers by saying J.J. Redick is out of line, Pat Beverly being one of those people, he was on the Rockets team that came back 3-1 against one of those Clippers teams where they came back from down 28. And Pat Bev says, he's calling out J.J. Redick, yeah, you were bad on defense, so should he have benched you? Should Maybe he shouldn't have played you because you were a defensive liability. And I think that's proven J.J. Redick's point, where if you're up 3-1 and J.J. Redick is a problem, I'm not saying he is or if he wasn't, but that's on the coach to make the, the proper adjustments, is it not? For even his no, defenders I are making J.J. Redick's point where – he didn't make the proper adjustments. Bad coaching. Well, here's, here's the first thing. That's assuming that what Pat Beverly said was the proper adjustment. I don't think that what Pat Beverly said and putting Jamal Crawford into the starting lineup and putting J.J. Redick on the bench was the appropriate coaching decision. So I, that's, not, that's not at all a relevant point because I don't think Pat Beverly really knows who he's talking about. He's more personally attacking J.J. Redick than anything. I think the Clippers rotation, after a full season of being successful with it, getting to a 3-1 lead with that system was not the right move. Changing that all of a sudden in a panic move is not the right coaching decision. Sometimes the other team has the momentum. Sometimes you meet an unstoppable force. It's not like that Rockets team was full of a bunch of scrubs. That one of the best players in the NBA on their team. Coming back from 3-1 was not an impossible feat. I don't think that that decision to change coaching or to change your lineups was the right coaching move. So I'm not going to criticize Doc for that. I think Jamal Crawford was in his proper place as a sixth man. The way that that lineup was structured, J.J. Redick was in the right spot. He just needed to make shots, or the team as a collective needed to make shots or play defense. There's a lot that could go into winning and losing games. And before I foist it all on the, the coach, especially as a player on that roster, I'll take some sort of accountability myself and say this is what 
I didn't do before I start looking at Doc Rivers. And maybe you can say Doc Rivers should do the same thing, but I don't think playing the who's throwing who under the bus game is productive. I think if you look at that Clippers team and say why they should have won, or if you look at you know the, the, the Sixers team, you say why they could have won or why they should have won more, and you can break down the things, the flaws within a team. But saying it's all on Doc Rivers and that you're sick of his pattern of taking no accountability, this guy's been fired. He's been publicly shamed. He's been uh, laughed at, I guess, in the coaching realm or by media personalities like, like J.J. Reddick for his shortcomings. I don't, I don't think he's dodging accountability. Um, and to say so is, I think, just a personal attack more than is on Doc Rivers' coaching technique. All right, good stuff. Good debate. Uh, Caleb Heron with us here on Cofield and Company on Wednesday. So Antonio Pierce the other day says that the Raiders have the Mahomes rules. What does that mean? And did the Raiders just put a target on their backs? I think, you know, obviously referencing the Jordan rules of old. And I think the, the first thing I thought when that, when I saw that was like, I just can't wait to the last dance version of the Mahomes career when he says, yeah, the Raiders said they had the Jordan rules and they're going to beat me up and smack me around a little bit like the Pistons. And then for Mahomes to say, and I took that personal. And then for the rest of his career against the Raiders, just absolutely destroys them and does anything he wants to them because he takes it personal, right? Like that's, that's what I saw at first. Like the Jordan rules didn't really work out for the rest of the NBA. Like the Pistons may have unlocked something even scarier than however good Michael Jordan was. And based on how the Chiefs responded after that Raiders blowout, um, I think you could say going on to win the Super Bowl, they figured it out. The, the Jordan rules or the Mahomes rules were figured out, and anybody who tried to copy it obviously didn't succeed because here, here we are again, and the Chiefs started to defend the Super Bowl champions going into the offseason. So I, it's cool. I think it's good, it's good for stories like this to talk about, to say the Chiefs think they or the, the Raiders think they figured Mahomes out. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I don't think that anybody has really figured him out yet or figured the Chiefs out as they're currently constructed. I, I love that it creates this sort of banter about it. I just don't want to see the day where Mahomes says he took that personal and he just takes it out on the Raiders for, <laughs> for the rest of existence. That, winning the Super Bowl at Allegiant was enough. Like I, I feel like that was already salt in whatever wounds the Raiders have. I don't think you need to poke the bear anymore. In Antonio Pierce's defense, the Las Vegas Raiders are 1-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs since the Mahomes rules have been invented. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and the Pistons also knocked Jordan out of the playoffs before, but I think Jordan got the last laugh in that one. We'll see, we'll see how the story finishes. Caleb Herring's up on Cofield and Company here on this Wednesday. Um, have you noticed any of the Raiders coaching hires from quarterback coach to a new running back coach because uh, Deshaun Foster went to UCLA, Joe Philbin, a former NFL head coach, anything intrigue you? I think sort of the quarterback whisper move uh, with, you know, Broncos former offensive coordinator, guy who's uh, working on Caleb Williams, getting him ready for the, the draft is, is an interesting thing. I think uh, you could create a storyline to say that the Raiders are really interested in developing the quarterback of the future next season. And and I, I think those are some interesting narratives. I think the fact that Antonio Pierce is, is going after experienced guys. Like it seems like there's, most of the people that he's surrounding himself with have a lot of experience uh, building and developing teams, so or players for that matter. So I think that that's interesting um, because it gives you kind of an idea of what management is thinking, or at least what they're projecting as far as this being a project or rebuild or a win now situation. I think they're trying to build something completely different 
based on the experience of the people that are involved with these hires. Um, I don't know that I would go as far as because uh, because Rich Scandarello, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right, it w- was working with Caleb Williams in the offseason uh, or getting ready for pre-draft. I don't know if I would go as far as the Raiders are making a play to get Caleb Williams, but I, I think there is some inclination that they're planning on building with a young quarterback and, and building around, building him up through the experience of the coaches that are going to surround him. So uh, that would be what I could deduce. And with all coaching staffs, it's just a matter of how it comes together with with the personnel that ends up taking the field come next season. Adam, was the quarterback coach hiring me to you? Uh, not that much. I actually, I actually wanted to just follow up with with uh, Caleb on this. Of, I mean, I don't think any of us believe Aiden O'Connell is the quarterback of the future. <laughs> Uh, but when you have Luke Getze come in and his first presser is like, hey, a quarterback needs to run. He needs to be able to move. And that's literally the one thing Aiden O'Connell cannot do. Like, are yeah. you, what does it do to a, the potential? Like, he might still be on the team. Like, you're basically saying, like, that's not, that doesn't work. I think it depends on what you're, how you're saying that they need to be able to run and move. Are you saying that that needs to be a piece of your offensive system? Because then the writing's on the wall. This guy's gone. Like He's not going to be useful to me at all. He's on the roster. He's a waste of roster spot. We're trying to figure out how to deal with him. If you're saying my system is going to be predicated on my quarterback's mobility, um, I mean, like if you want to go to the extreme example of that, like Lamar Jackson or uh, Kyler Murray, where there's so much, so many elements of your offense that are built around your quarterback's mobility. Um, so if that's what you're saying, then yes. But I think what you could be saying, and I, this is maybe giving him a little bit too much leeway with that <laughs> statement, what you could be saying is that the game of football has changed to a point where you have to be mobile at quarterback. The way that the game is played, the schemes that defenses draw up, uh, the inability to block players on every given play to have perfect protections, I think mandates that quarterbacks are mobile to some extent. If you're saying it with that uh, in mind, I don't think you know it's the end. Uh, you know the writing's on the wall for Aiden O'Connell. But I think uh, if you're saying the former, if you're saying I need my quarterback you have a system where the, the, we play with 11 guys offensively, like the quarterback is a threat to hurt you, um, then I think the writing's on the wall. Aiden O'Connell is pretty much done as far as getting meaningful minutes, and, and I think the Raiders are probably looking to go elsewhere or move him from the roster to create some, some, some depth at that position that's useful. Yeah, I think it's the second one uh, that he, you know, he's saying, look, that's where the quarterback position is. Like, you need to be able to move on some level. Uh, to be an effective quarterback at this, you know, at the at the NFL uh, level, and and he just he can't. So I mean, to to your point of hey, that's just it's just his statement on where the quarterback position is. Like as as a quarterback, I'm sure you're listening when you you're a player and you hear a new coach come in. I'm sure you listen to his press conference, and like to me, that would feel like a like an attack almost. I, I think you can take it that way, an attack or a challenge, based on your mindset. <laughs> Um, can I get more mobile? I don't know if, if at this point in your career you, have, you can get more mobile in an offseason. Or maybe there's an aspect of you that is a little bit more mobile and you, you just haven't showed yet because you haven't had to. I don't know. Uh, but you Caleb, do Caleb, you, watched, sort of Caleb you watched him play. <laughs> Didn't, you watched him play, I, right? I get it. I get it. Yes. I, I, he's not, he's not, I wouldn't ever define him as a mobile quarterback for sure. But <laughs> what, like if, if that's something that you can work to develop, I don't know. That hasn't been something that's been tested. We've seen projects the other way where you have like a mobile quarterback a scrambler a guy that's known as a runner have to adapt and adjust to being a pocket guy and i don't know that that's necessarily been the right move by these these coaches and these systems but we've seen that transition we've never seen a guy try to go from a pocket guy to a mobile guy i don't know that aiden is that guy but 
eventually I think someone's going to have to do it. I think there's enough, if there's enough of a skill set, and again, I don't think Aiden O'Connell is the guy that has the skill set where you're like, I can work with you and be patient with your inability to be mobile. I don't think he's that talented with his arm or with other aspects of the game to, to kind of waste, you know, Devontae Adams' prime, to waste smash card, your, your window of opportunity if there is one for the Raiders right now. Um, I think you need to get a quarterback that already has these skill sets, and I think that's what, what you're alluding to is that's what the Raiders are saying. We're going to get a quarterback that has these skill sets. Whether it's somebody in a draft, whether it's a free agent somewhere, whether we're making a trade, I don't know. But I think they're, they're pretty much saying this style of quarterbacking is irrelevant. And if you look at the successful teams, the teams that made it to the final stages of the postseason last year, the writing was on the wall. Every quarterback that was in the divisional round um, had some sort of athleticism, some mobility. Brock Purdy, uh, even go to Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, the ASC, obviously Patrick Mahomes doing it with their legs. All these guys were mobile to some extent. And I think the days, you know, the only one that wasn't was Jared Goff, and they didn't make it. So if you look at the days of standing as a statue in the pocket, I don't think that that's the most productive way to win anymore. But maybe that's just what the managers are thinking, and maybe that's the direction the NFL is going. We'll see what happens with guys like Aiden O'Connell and if the Raiders move off of him quickly and if the rest of the league also – has made the decision that this is the style of quarterbacking going forward. It's a new game, and we need a new style of play, and this is now the standard. Caleb, good job, man. We appreciate the time. We'll uh, talk to you soon, okay? All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one. There he is, Caleb Herring, uh, with us here on Cofield and Company. Um, want to remind you that Circle Las Vegas has something cool coming up for tourney season, Mania Under the Sun at Stadium Swim. Uh, get ready to make a splash as they uh, celebrate the madness of basketball with a thrill of victory. And best place to do it is Stadium Swim with heated pools and cabanas, uh, game time snacks and drinks. Got the epic 143-foot screen to watch all of the uh, different games up on the big screens. But you're going to want to reserve your spot now. It's Stadium Swim, Mania Under the Sun at uh, Stadium Swim, March 20th to 24th, 28th to 31st, April 6th and 8th. Book your spot. Get your cabana. Hook yourself up at CircleLasVegas.com. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Raj Markazi coming up here in just a couple minutes. You can give us feedback on the text line, our Finley Kia text line, 702-364-1100. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield. Damon is running the whole thing. He's also monitoring the text line. What do you got, Damon? Uh, this is from Aaron. Kid has been in a boot for months. Oh, we were talking about Bootgate and and DJ Thomas. Yeah, so I mean, and the fact that I mentioned that at the beginning of the show because someone caught a picture of DJ Thomas in a walking boot on his left boot, and I told you he's been wearing it on and off as a preventative measure throughout the season. And then the person who brought it up in the first place was like, "Nope, don't believe Cofield." All right, I don't know what to tell you. Journalism these days, man. Journalism these days. Arash, what's going on, buddy? Not much. How are you? I'm good, Arash. I'm good. Uh, overall, how was the trip to Indy? I want to talk uh, in detail about it, but what was it like being at the All-Star game? It was fine. It was uh, snowing on Friday, but it warmed up. Uh, not, you know, not too warm. But I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I was thinking about Vegas as I was there where, where – if the Super Bowl had happened one week later, it would be 70 and sunny on yeah. uh, Super Bowl uh, Sunday and been great the whole week. Same with Indianapolis. If, uh, if the All-Star weekend had happened this week, it'd be like 60 
and Sunday. So you can't really, uh, you know, prevent, the, you know, plan for those things. Uh, but, but I thought it was a fun weekend. The, the game itself was terrible, though. Yes. So you came out of it with some solutions. You suggested uh, more money for the winners. I think that'll be greeted with a lot of negativity from the people who don't like the All-Star game now. Um, do you believe in that idea? I guess I shouldn't question you. You tweeted it out. Um, what can well, they no, do? I mean, and what do, you th- what do you think Silver's reaction was to really a lot of Olay defense? It was terrible. I mean, I mean, I, he had been talking about hopefully that the games are more competitive. The fact of the matter is I was surprised, actually, at the number of players who said that they were playing hard during the uh, midseason tournament was because of the compensation. Again, a half a million towards uh, the team that wins per player. And then so, like, listen, I'm thinking let's, like, up it a little bit because you're talking about superstars here. So $1 million per player um, if you win. And again, I know these guys are getting paid a ton of money, but I, I mean, I've talked to wealthy people before. Wealthy people like all kinds of money. So if you hand them a check for a million dollars, they are going to be playing more competitively. To be honest, Steve, that might not even solve the problem. I don't know what is the solution. I do know that the game is not going to go, you know, the, the game will continue to, to be played. This is not the Pro Bowl. This is not tackle football. This is still pickup basketball. So they're going to continue to have this game, whether or not it's competitive. I really think it will be a year-to-year thing. I think this year was not competitive. And to be honest, it's not even the scoring. If the final score was 210 to 212, that would be fine with me. But you can't have one team scoring 211 points and winning by 25. It, it's You can't watch that. I like that you just called it pickup basketball. It just like popped in my head. That would be awesome. Like Just show up. Choose up teams. Winner stays on the floor. Like that could create something. You don't want to be the one that's embarrassed and don't even get back on the court. I mean, the reason that I mentioned that is, I mean, that's what a lot of people have compared it to. But they've said, to be honest, most of the pickup games that they play during the summer at UCLA are competitive than this. Yeah. Like they're playing for pride or something. So um, again, I don't know what the solution is. I do think if. You pay them more if you maybe tried this Team USA, Team World. And I know that that's kind of gimmicky. But now when you have like an NBA with uh, Luka Doncic and the uh, Joker and Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I mean, the, the world uh, is, is a fantastic squad at that yeah. point. Uh, I don't don't think that I let it slip by without mention, not noticing that you called Indianapolis okay. It's, it's a great place to have an event. It was It was great, I'm sure. I said it was okay. Well, I mean, like, do you think it's like the best place in the world? I mean, I think it's okay. <laughs> yes, he does. I do. I yes, think it's it's, it's, it's always in the top five in my NFL top five cities, like, yes. which is one of the more outrageous things he's ever written. A top five NFL destination. Come on, it is top five. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, uh, it probably depends on when you're there. It's a very walkable city. I yep. That's the, one of the reasons people like New Orleans uh, and places like that, where you basically get to your hotel and you don't have to take a cab or uh, like. Lyft or like Uber, like it's it's very walkable. Now when it's snowing and traffic's terrible, and then it's a problem. But no, it's a uh, what do you want me to say? It's a good city. Yeah. How was Harry and Izzy's? Harry and Izzy's was good. Uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of try to hit up all the hot spots. How, yeah. How was Prime? Saint Elmo's, of course. Yeah. How was Prime? <laughs> Prime was great. Oh. I heard. I heard it was a great time after the game. Prime is right across the street there from the arena. And here's how much I love 
the city, I will be back for the combine this year. <laughs> there you go. It's awesome. Very Thank jealous. God. <laughs> we got someone covering it for us. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Adam is very depressed that he's uh, right now he's on the VGK beat, and there's nothing depressing about it, but he does have to miss his favorite event. Adam, explain yeah. to the audience, because we bust your chops on this. I do understand why you like the combine, but explain to the audience why it's such a good benefit to you and why you get so much information. Oh, it's incredible. Well, first of all, everyone's there. Uh, and it's a very relaxed environment. So yes, during the day you're talking to prospects, you're watching uh, as much as you can. You're you know you're in on every interview and just talking to. You get access to every single player basically that's going to be a draft pick. But then as soon as that's over for the day, so you're doing that like you know 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then it's restaurant to restaurant to bar to bar to restaurant, talking to every agent, every coach, every GM uh, in, a, in a very relaxed environment. It's 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 an unbelievable place to just build networks build sources uh, and build relationships in that way it's it's phenomenal this will be my first combine by the way i'm very excited to yeah. experience what you're talking about i've heard that for years um and yeah just really kind of pumped to uh check that out for myself there's a secret party every night arash maybe i'll tell you where it is oh, if you want my God. Uh, you think it, he doesn't already what? know at the hotel bar no 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 that's, that's the JW. public that's the public spot there's a there's a very secret uh, one and uh, everyone okay. ends up there at like four in the morning well how's you're gonna be oh I, I second night i was there i got the invite i was very excited just saying if everyone ends up there i mean how secretive can it be <laughs> everyone who matters everyone who matters ends ah, up there. Yeah. i'm sure arash will find it it's not gonna be a secret to arash <laughs> that's what i'm saying i'll tell Demont, him what do you, Demont, what do you got arash i wanted to ask you this uh, pick up something that we talked about in our last interview with caleb herring doc rivers and jj reddick you covered this beat you knew that clippers team very well is there some truth to doc rivers maybe avoiding accountability Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, the, the problem is, that I, I don't think JJ's alone here. I think by the end of that Lob City run, like, they all hated each other, and they all kind of pointed fingers, and they all, um, you know, just, just didn't want to be together. I, I think that the turning point was clearly when they blew that 3-1 series lead to Houston. And, listen, Doc always has an excuse, whether it's, you know, Chris Paul's out. I mean, you know, the excuse Doc uses for that series is Chris Paul was out – for the first game that they won that game. So like you move on from that and you, you blew a three, one series lead. And um, listen, I like both of these guys, but I know the tension there between really like everyone involved with that team, you know, doc, Chris, Blake, Deandre, it, it wasn't a fun group to be around towards the end of that run. I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, people were taking shots on me. I said I was taking it personally, me defending J.J. Reddick, so I just wanted to get get it from someone a little closer to the source. That, you know, I'm not crazy, so thank you. No, <laughs> no, no, you're not. What, what would it – I guess how close was it to having LeBron go to the Warriors? And what do you make of this coming out of it if, hey, if this is something that he wanted and was potentially going to happen, uh, what does that mean for the rest of, the, of his time with the Lakers? It's so interesting because I, I don't doubt what, what what Woj and Ramona reported. However, like you basically talked to like everyone during the All-Star weekend from LeBron who said, I didn't even know about it until it came out, which I don't believe that, to <laughs> Rich Paul. Like you go down the list. I mean, they, they all say it really never got to a point where we even thought about it. Now, I truly don't believe LeBron wanted to go there. Uh, and I think if 
he did, it would have happened. I mean, I, I think the one part of the story that I totally believe and that people may think is surprising is that basically the Lakers are, are would, would tell a team that contacted them about LeBron, like, don't come to us. If LeBron wants to come to you, we will facilitate that, that deal. Like, they are not going to keep LeBron if he doesn't want to be here. And again, we'll, we'll find out. This summer, what he wants to do, he has the option to leave. Um, he has been very non-committal about that. He has said uh, that he is hopeful that he stays with the Lakers. We'll see what that entails. We'll see what that means. I do think he'll uh, play for Team USA in Paris, get one more gold. But what he does and how he finishes career, it's very interesting. And I, and I, and I am disappointed that his son has been kind of brought into this because – I really think his son could be a good player. Having watched all of USC's basketball games this season, as depressing as that sounds, they're not a good team. They're one of the worst teams in the Pac-12, if not the last place team. Um, he sh- shouldn't. He shouldn't be coming out now, but he probably will. Someone's going to draft him with the hopes of getting LeBron to join their team. It's going to be a fiasco. Which team do you think? It's possible. What do you think are the maybe three teams that if they draft Bronny Jr., that LeBron would go to their team? Well, it's kind of interesting because I, I, I do think teams would probably talk to LeBron and Rich Paul before they actually, like, drafted a player who has no business being drafted. Um, so they would be, you know, like – and, and look, I, I'm assuming LeBron would play coy and say, well, I'll think about it. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think it would have to be to a desirable destination, whether that's New York – whether that's Golden State, uh, you know, like do the Clippers do something crazy? I don't even know if the Clippers have a first-round pick. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know what situation. But I think if you're going to draft a guy who's averaging less than 10 points for one of the worst teams in the Pac-12, like, like you should probably have that conversation and say, hey, if we do this, will you at least consider joining our team? Rush Markazi, L.A. guy. L.A. guy. Vegas guy. Uh, you, you took you and your outlet took some time to uh, uh, to celebrate the career of a legendary hockey writer in L.A. where you're from, back in your you know in your home uh, last week. Uh, what, what what did Helene Elliott mean to the mean to the landscape of hockey? <laughs> Listen, it's something nice to do on someone's way out the door, right? Jeez. So Helene Elliott had a Hall of Fame career. I don't run our social. Um, I, I, listen, I, I, I help. I help dictate the tone and the the voice of it. Um, Helene was a very nice person to some people, not so much to some other people. So, whoa, whoa, uh, okay. I, whoa! Uh, I no, listen. I mean, she's a, she's a Hall of Famer and deserves to be respected. And uh, a very, uh, it's a unique transitional period for the Los Angeles Times where. You know, what does the future look like for that paper? I, I, I don't know. It's sad. I mean, you're talking about, like, you know, the Las Vegas Review Journal is trying to figure out, you know, you're doing a great job, Adam. But, you know, who's going to be a sort of, like, the beat person? I mean, the fact of the matter is the Los Angeles Times, and not only the Times, but the Southern California News Group, does not even have a beat writer. Forget traveling or anything. They, they, they don't even cover the kings and the ducks. It's crazy. So, um Hall of Fame career, it was amazing that Los Angeles, of all cities, had a Hall of Fame hockey uh, journalist in Helene. And again, she, she did an amazing job covering uh, the Kings and the Ducks during their runs towards the Stanley Cup. But 
those both of those papers have punted on hockey for quite a number of years already. The, the Review Journal just broke a Golden Knight story like twenty minutes ago, Rush. Yeah, you did. While did doing you write the show. that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Yes. So they're covering. Wait, wait, no, I'm saying is that you guys are, but well, you guys don't travel with them, right? Not yet. At times. No. <laughs> I mean, you probably will during the playoffs. But I mean, that, that's the defending Stanley Cup champions. You know, and uh, but you know, well, someone, someone will be traveling. Newspapers and newspapers in general are are, are struggling. And the newspapers are not alone. Like look at look at the state of uh, all sports media now. It's it's a very dire predicament. So we're all trying to trying to figure out how to move forward here. Not Cofield and Company. We're very healthy. Um, I want to get there you, you go. in. Wait, what's going on here? I wanted to get you in on a uh, discussion, and maybe you'll have no interest either. Uh, the other day we were talking about the documentary. That is on now, the greatest night in pop, the making of We Are the World. Are you more interested in watching that or a documentary about the downfall of the Expos? The Expos, just because I'm a sports fan, but I do love that We Are the World documentary. I uh, just, I, I thought it was well done. I, I, I like documentaries that that kind of tell you how things came about, you know, yep. and the fact that. Stevie Wonder was going to be more involved. The one part of the story that I would have dived deeper into was that Dan Aykroyd was there. Uh, really cool to yes! see Dan Aykroyd uh, there. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, so I kind of I went down a rabbit hole. Apparently, like he was in a meeting with like a talent agent, and it came up where like, do you want to be a part of it? And like, you technically speaking. Um, uh, he was, you know, in the Blues Brothers Blues group, Brothers. and but but, it, it, but still, I mean, when you when you're watching that, and it's, you know, what a, you know, you go down the list of a who's who it of musicians, and then there's Dan Aykroyd. Right. Yes, Arash, we appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, the great part about that documentary is the legendary Bob Dylan is looking around. He's like, I don't know if my voice can hold up to all these people. Meanwhile, Dan Aykroyd's in the back of the room, like, what the hell? How did this come together? Three six four eleven hundred. Caller seven. We got a big college baseball tournament in town. It's the Las Vegas College Baseball Classic, four team tournament at LV Ballpark. It starts up on Friday. We got a pair of tickets right now to go see the games with Oklahoma, Cal, Ohio State, and Pittsburgh. You can get your tickets at milb.com. Milb.com. But a pair going out right now. Demond's got you hooked up. Three six four eleven hundred. Caller seven. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Grab Bag time. Cofield on the road in Colorado Springs getting ready for UNLV Air Force coming up. 8 p.m., 9 p.m. local start time in Colorado Springs, 8 p.m. here on the LV Sports Network, ESPN Las Vegas. Here's the pregame show, I assume, at 7.30. I think that's how it works, half hour before the game. John Curtis, <laughs> Cofield, you'll hear the whole broadcast coming up. See if the UNLV running Rebs can avenge not only what happened this weekend, a collapse against Reno, but also uh, an ugly, ugly game against Air Force last time they played in bootgate we will get to the bottom of it see what happens with dj wearing the walking boot on the plane as they get ready to take the court tonight yeah but earlier today steve caught up with rob whaley and talked about the offensive keys for unlv against this air force zone i'm just moving the ball we just got to move the ball and not get stagnant 
don't just weave the ball. We got to attack the defense, get inside the paint because we're an elite team when we get inside the paint. You uh, you just mentioned physicality. You look back on the the film or your memory from the uh, Reno game. Were you guys physical enough? As physical, we weren't as physical as we needed to be. Yeah. I mean, they doubled us in rebounds, and that's something that shouldn't happen. So I mean, I take partial blame for that because I got to rebound harder. But says the team got to rebound better. Yeah, four fouls in the game. Yes. You remember the fouls? Was yeah, I picked up two dumb ones in the beginning, which kind of got me out of the game. So it's kind of hard after that. So I mean, we've talked, and I just got to work on not picking up those early fouls. What's your recollection of the first Air Force game in terms of your role in the game? You know, I came in and just kind of did like what I needed to do, but I wasn't as vocal or as I wasn't being as much of a leader and getting guys into it as much as I should have. Do you feel like that's your role? Um, I feel like I am a leader of this, a leader on this team. Yes, I feel like now, as I've kind of come into this role and been playing a lot more, that I feel like I'm a leader of this team. And guys listen to me, and I listen to them, and we just get things done together. We just asked uh, Kruger down the stretch, is there a player or two who normally can be relied upon when you guys are playing softer defense? Because that's what he pointed to. That's what you pointed to. Is there someone on the floor who generally does that, kind of snap everyone back into shape? Because Reno did have some easier trips to the basket that allowed that comeback. Um, I don't think we have a guy. I think we have multiple guys that kind of just snap us back together. Like me, Key, Lou, we kind of get together. We get the guys together, and we're like, we need to pick this up. We need to get going. So, I mean, those are three guys I would say are vocal leaders of this team as well. Here and embarrassed us on our home floor. It's kind of egging everyone on to just be better and realizing that we're still in the hunt for this conference to win this conference. And I think everyone's just hungry more than anything. Can you do that high low action against these guys and against a matchup zone? Um, I believe so. We just got to move it. We got to get them off balance. We can't do it when they're set because if we just sit there and weave the ball, they're just going to stand there like they did last game against us. We got to get inside, get, get our guards to drive in, kick. Post up us, me and KB got to post better, get better looks inside. Good stuff there from Rob Whaley. I find it interesting when he's talking about physicality. Like, I don't know that he knows how to play not physical. Yes. <laughs> That's all he does. I mean, it's impressive. It's wild. His athleticism is off the charts, but uh, everything is just the, to, the, to the basket, strong, powerful, physical. That's just how he plays. I think the biggest thing for me there, when he talked about the vocal leaders, him himself, Keelan Boone and Luis Rodriguez, you see it in 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 some parts, but I don't think it's there constantly when the team needs like that pick me up because they definitely needed it Saturday. And going back to the last matchup against Air Force, when you're out of it that early, I don't think that there's any type of vocal leadership that can be done. But after the after the Air Force game the first time, Keelan Boone he says that they didn't come to play. Do you think that that embarrassment no, factor just no matters? Kidding. Yeah, well, how much can you say? But do you think that embarrassment factor plays a part of it when they go in the Air Force tonight? Of just, we can't get embarrassed. Tonight? I think it does, and I was trying to look something up to make sure I was right. Yeah, it, it remains Air Force's only win. Yes. <laughs> Their only win was a 32-point road blowout of UNLV. It was, it's baffling. It's still an, an absolute mystery. UNLV, the favorite on the road after losing by 32. They were down by 40 in that game at home to Air Force. It was such an anomaly. Um, and you look at the rest of the losses. They've all been they've all been close. They've all been right down to the wire. They had the ridiculous game against Utah State, which absolutely should have been a win, uh, if not for a dumb call. Uh, obviously, the, the collapse against Reno. And you hear Rob Whaley say there, hey, look, we're still in the mix to win the regular season in this conference, which technically they are. But if you – I mean, you change, you know, three plays in the season, they're not only in the mix, they're in the driver's seat. And uh, you don't include the Air Force game in that, but what an absolute missed opportunity that was on the schedule to come home, take care of business, and get the job done and be 
right there sitting atop the standings right now, and they just didn't show up in that game. So I I I think I would think the embarrassment factor would be there, but um, it just they were never. I, I still can't explain what happened. I don't think anybody around the team can. You hear them talking about it. Like, it's just, it's a mystery why they just did not show up that that game. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, Adam, something that I noticed on the internet today. Oh, that's a dangerous I know place. You, I, <laughs> the MLB new uniforms. People were, like, when they you, signed the deal with. you are going to talk about that interviewing girl. No, 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 no. When they talked. <laughs> what was I going to say? When they signed the deal with Fanatics, people were already saying, this is going to be terrible. Talk about MLB with the jersey yes. deal. It's a Nike deal, right? But Fanatics is making the jerseys for Nike? Yes. And people were already saying, this is going to be terrible with yeah. Fanatics. <laughs> Not fanatics only, is not a sponsor. It's a station, right? No, but if they want to be Fanatics, God, the only place you should buy. Do we ruin your, it right now? Yeah. Fanatics sucks. <laughs> Everything it's trash. Well, that's a bag we'll never get. <laughs> yeah. Do we really want it? I mean, we do want the bag, but yeah, we don't want the stuff. Have you seen like not only from the players, but the people who've already bought the merchandise? Yeah, they're not happy. And it's what appears is going to happen. This is unfortunate for fans, but. So players have complained. They don't like it. The fans don't like the uh, the replica jerseys. The players don't like the authentic jerseys. They don't like the what things they're going to be playing in. They're going to change the game jerseys. They're not going to stick with what they have. The, the players' union is going to win this. The players are going to win. They're going to get better jerseys and jerseys that they like more and are more comfortable in. But they're not going to be able to change the replicas. So the fans are going to be stuck with whatever they have now. And they're going to have players wearing different things, which is fine. I mean, you want the players to be more comfortable, but this is not going to help the fans that have already bought it, which which really sucks for them. Uh, they're trying to get ahead, get the new jerseys, and uh, they're no good. Uh, it definitely reminds me, and I know you were taking a deep dive back in Seinfeld for a while. Um, I don't know if you got to the episode where George's big idea for the Yankees was changing the jerseys, <laughs> and they were terrible. <laughs> the players were not happy with them. It was It's a hilarious episode. The big thing that I saw today, where was the actual you can't have the guys playing in this, was the pants situation. The white pants were not only the the quote on the internet was they're awkward. leaving little to the imagination. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, they're not, they're not good, man. They're they're not good in a lot of different ways. Like I said, they're going to change them. They're not going to be like this. And I was actually I was actually a. Uh, I was looking at the schedule coming up with the Golden Knights on the road a little bit. I was going to try to sneak down to a couple of spring training games in Arizona, but um, I don't think I'm going to be seeing them wearing these. They they would probably will for spring training, but I think by the time the season rolls around, they're going to get this fixed. Because I look, there's a reason you want to be the jersey maker. Like making the jerseys, it's not like an honor. Like you're doing it because you want the publicity of like, hey, we're making these cool jerseys. Like you don't want players complaining about the jerseys all year. They're going to get it fixed. They're going to make it better, and they want to look like a company that's proactive and listens to the consumer and all that. But it's not going to help the people that have bought the jerseys. It's just going to help the players, which is the right thing. It's also about looking cool. I mean, nobody nobody wants to, nobody's like, hey man, you got that new fanatics. <laughs> Where we saw that, with- we got, it's got to be a shorter name too. Fanatics is too long of a name. That would be like the selling point for college recruits. You got recruits. that ticks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got the new ticks jersey? No. It's yeah. not good. I'm sure they're going to be looking at the NFL and NBA like, why ain't we got Nike anymore? I think look at the NBA for, I, we don't have to jump back in, but uh, we're going to look back in the NBA for Victor Wembanyama, Louis Vuitton, brand ambassador. Big for him. What a what a uh, marketing 
genius this kid is already. He's he's all over the place. He had that in the bag already. Of course. Literally, he had the Louis bag yes. when, he, when he got drafted. Him Smart. Being, it, it's different, right? Smart. Look, he's an international superstar. He's going to be getting international brands. Big for him. Good for Wemby. You're not happy? I, I'm tired of him already. Oh, you want you want the endorsement deal? Yes. You thought you were going to get the big, the big Louis I'm endorsement right deal? Right. As I'm dressed like a high school PE teacher right is that now. Is Syracuse? You got a Syracuse jacket on? It's so off-brand, it's just sports. No, it's not. 